Nothing you hear in this program constitutes investment advice. It is an expression of opinion only. This is Frisbees, Bulls and Bears. Talking money and markets. What's happening and why. We talk to the experts, the traders, the investors and the companies they're investing in. You're listening to Frisbees, Bulls and Bears with Dominic Frisbee. Hello and welcome to Frisbee's Bulls and Bears. I'm Dominic Frisbee and today we have a company interview. I'm talking to Peter Miller who is the CEO of Eurotin. As the name suggests, it's targeting tin within the EC in Spain to be precise. Peter, welcome to the show. Let, let's start with tin. I mean, base metals have had a fantastic run this year. Lead's up 100%, copper's up, just about everything's up. But tin doesn't really stir the blood of the analysts. So, so why tin? Well, that's a good question. Um, first of all, or maybe the short answer is that there are almost no listed tin companies in North America or Europe, so there's nothing for analysts to follow. Um, and you ask, why tin? Well, tin is an LME uh, metal with real prices. You can actually sell the stuff forward and buy it forward, uh, unlike a lot of uh, smaller metals. Tin is a relatively small market, it's approximately $6 billion per year, but it nevertheless is a real market, uh, unlike most metals. Now, perhaps I should uh, explain a little bit that the biggest tin producer in the world is China, and they basically have gazillions of small mines. But the major companies are scarring the world for tin, uh, good tin projects. A good example is Yunnan Tin, who incidentally stock price up 400% this year. I uh, have just completed buying 60% of Australian's uh, famous Renaissance tin. Uh, I'm, I look at tin and uh, see a metal which is likely to be in deficit uh, for the foreseeable future unless somebody makes a major discovery, and hopefully that major discovery will be us. What's tin used for? Well, the primary uh, use of tin is solder. Uh, that's basically um, connecting electronic uh, bits and pieces together. And in more recent times, uh, it's now become legislated into law. You have to use it. There's no alternative. Uh, this has happened both in North America and in Europe. And solder makes up about, ooh, about 45% of the use of tin. And then your normal tin can, which you get your baked beans in, makes up about another 15%. And chemical, bronze, and things like that make up the balance. Okay. And uh, it's China the major consumer of tin? China is also the major consumer of tin, yes. In fact, it's in the net importer of tin at the present time. Tell us about your projects in Spain. I understand there are two. That's right. Um, at the beginning of 2007, uh, I, just, I was asked to um, step aside in um, Iberian Minerals. And so I decided, well, what am I going to do next? And I, I like Spain. I'd operated in Spain. I financed the Aguasnidas mine in Spain into production. And um, so I looked around Spain and came up with the fact that uh, this is um, a, a tin province which has not been properly looked at. And I went to have a look at about seven or eight prospects. And of those uh, seven or eight, we finally honed in on two. One is called uh, Santa Maria, which is a alluvial, alluvial deposit, and one is called Oropes Lagrana, which is a hard rock deposit. And both of these uh, deposits, in my potential, have the potential to be world-class um, um, deposits. 
OK, let's talk about the hard rock deposit first and then you can explain what alluvial means uh, when we come to the, to the other project. OK. Oropes La Grana was a, a project which was first explored by the Spanish Geological Survey back in the early 80s and mid-80s. And um, they uh, uh, abandoned it in uh, the second half of the 80s when the tin price collapsed and there was a change of government and budgets were cut back. But in the time, they, produced, they spent, in my guess, about $8 million in today's money terms. And without that, uh, we would never be in the position we are now. An enormous amount of work was done there. A reasonable size resource was found, about 35,000 tons of tin, down to a depth of 150 meters on one of the uh, prospects there. Uh, Oropes Lagrana is three very distinct uh, deposits. And in my opinion, each one of these will become a mine. Do you own the project in in its entirety? No, we're only in at the, at the present time. The the deal is to earn into a 96% interest by spending one and a half million euros on the property. Uh, we spent a couple hundred thousand euros there so far, and we should complete the earning by year end. Do you have anything else to say about Oropesa La Grana? Just apart from how how uh, you th- the the rock is right, you think it's going to become a mine. I mean, what does it take to to build a mine? What it takes to build a mine? Well, what we have at Oropace Lagrana, I'll, I'll go on the Lagrana deposits uh, because they're on a hill. Uh, we found um, what I would call pretty good values of tin, up to 40% in some surface sampling. Uh, we have drill holes which have encountered 11.7% tin, uh, which is pretty spectacular as far as tin is concerned. What was not understood in the past was the geological controls over these uh, over the Lagrana deposits. We've spent an enormous amount of time getting to grips with the geological models of these things, and it's, it's about one of the most complicated pieces of geology I've ever come across. Um, but uh, now that we understand it, um, we are in a position where drill targets are very clearly determined. We don't need to do any more geophysics. We don't need to do any more... Um, uh, geochemistry. It's very clear what our targets will be. Um, Lagrana, I believe we have two very nice, probably pretty high-grade deposits, uh, each of which will become mines. Oropesa, as I said, has already got a 35,000-ton resource, and uh, that's only down to 150 meters. It looks like the mineralized structures go to at least 500 meters in depth. So that gives us about 100,000 tons of contained tin, which is worth almost $2 billion in today's money terms. That's a considerable amount. And, and, and if your kind of geological model is vindicated, we're talking about a world-class deposit, uh, what about the, the local infrastructure and, and everything there? Well, this is the great thing about Spain. The infrastructure, at least the infrastructure of our deposits, is absolutely fantastic. We have roads, rail, water, electrical power, in every single case within three or four kilometres of the actual project. Do you want to say anything else about Oropesa, or should we move on to Santa Maria? The only other thing I'd just like to add about Oropesa Lagrana is it's a primarily a tin prospect. Uh, more, some of our recent work has shown that the metallurgy of all the deposits there is very simple, which is unlike most tin deposits in, in um, Cornwall, for example. But we are now, uh, now looking like we're going to find some reasonable amounts of tungsten at depth, and that's quite exciting as well. Let's turn to your second project then at uh, Santa Maria. Um, and we're talking about Illuvial and alluvial. Uh, tell us what that means. 
Okay, the the difference between illuvial and alluvial is simply this. Illuvial means it was a deposit formed by gravity. In other words, it was a mudslide or an avalanche. Alluvial means it was formed by normal streams or riverbed formations. And it's very important in understanding uh, the difference between the two, which gives you an, an understanding of how this deposit was formed, because it truly is quite something very special. So what happened many years ago, about 290 million years ago, there was a granite intrusive. Nearly all uh, tin deposits are associated with granite intrusives. And you had like a little pinnacle at the top of this granite intrusive into which all the tin-bearing fluids uh, flowed. Uh, we know this from what we can see on the surface today. There's an outcrop of about five square kilometers. And some pretty high-grade uh, tin in the outcrop, although most of it's barren. The, what we've had here is something of the order of 500 to 1,000 meters vertically of tin-bearing rocks uh, eroded away over an area of about five square kilometers. It's truly a huge amount of rock. Once this happened, uh, by sheer happenstance, there was a quartzite ridge, which uh, during the erosion process meant that the heavy minerals got concentrated uh, pretty close to where they were eroded from and were never washed away. And this was a process which we believe lasted about 20 million years. Then the Earth's crust tilted uh, northwards by about 30, 35 degrees. And as a result of this, all the material which was lying around the original outcrop came crashing down in a series of mudslides and avalanches to form the alluvial deposits which we see today. Now, the alluvial deposits are mostly eroded away, and uh, very little of them remains. Uh, in fact, about 60 to 80 million tons of these alluvials remain. And we've done a, a lot of work on these alluvials. And what we found is the bottom 50 meters runs about 500 to 800 grams a ton of uh, tin, and the top 75 meters runs about 300 grams a ton tin. And these grades are pretty important to uh, grasp because the overall grade is about 400 grams a ton. Now, what has happened here is something like about 10 square kilometers at a minimum has been eroded away of these alluvials, maybe as much as 15 square kilometers, but at least 10 square kilometers. And what we can see is that we have uh, a system which is about 130, 125 meters thick, which ran an average of about 400 grams a ton. If you do the math on this, we find that we're looking at about uh, 1.25 billion tons of material alluvials was eroded away. That's about 2.5 billion tons. And uh, this had a grade of about 400 grams a ton, very approximately. These figures are all very, very approximately, and they have to be. So this suggests the amount of tin that was eroded away from the alluvial systems into alluvial deposits was something in the order of 1 million tons of tin metal. Now, we have to prove that. Uh, we could be wrong by a factor of 20, 30, 50%, and it still is a very huge alluvial tin deposit and I believe probably one of the largest ever discovered on the planet. What is the cost of tin per tonne, to give us an idea? The price of tin uh, yesterday was just under $18,000 a tonne, and uh, so it's quite a high-priced metal. So at $18,000 a tonne, and you've got something like a million tonnes potentially, that's, uh, that's quite a considerable amount of metal. It's, uh, it's a lot of metal. Um, when you mine alluvial deposits, you have to remember that Nature's done most of the work for you. It's mined it and it's processed it. 
and it's also concentrated it. One of the great things about tin is it's a heavy mineral, and like gold and diamonds, it does not get destroyed by the natural processes of erosion. And uh, as, a, as a result of this, um, you find very large alluvial deposits of tin around the world, although most of the ones known today have been totally mined out, such as in Malaysia and in uh, Brazil. I think what you're leading up to is what is the cost of processing this material. If you use dredges, which I think we possibly could use here, you're talking around $2.50 per tonne. If you use conventional mining techniques, maybe $3.50 a tonne. Because you don't have to grind, you don't have to mill, you don't have to put chemicals into this stuff. You use simple gravity processes to recover the, the uh, tin mineral cassiterite. So tell us now, what, what's the business plan? I mean, you've got to do a lot of drilling. Uh, you've got to raise some money. Um, you know, w- where do you go from here? Well, you're absolutely right. We have to uh, drill. Um, in the case of, I'll go back to Oropesa Lagrana, the hard rock deposits, uh, both Lagrana deposits, we first of all have to prove up the geological theories that we have for, for both these. I'm 99% convinced that the geological theories are correct, but they still need confirmation by drilling. In the case of Oropesa, the geology is um, a little bit more complex, but we've now figured it out. And it looks like it's about a 1.2-kilometer-long zone, generally between 30 and 70 meters wide, uh, probable grade is about 0.7, 10, and it's probably about, well, from the drill hole information we have to date, probably about 30, 40% payable. And we believe it goes to about 500 meters in depth. So that represents a pretty serious tonnage. As for Western Lagrana, I'm not looking for more than about 2 or 3 million tons of what I would suspect will be pretty high-grade material. I'm looking for material there of uh, plus 2%. And on eastern Lagrana, if we're correct, we should be looking at something on the order of 10 million tons. So we've got to drill these things, first of all, to prove the theories. Once we've proven the theories, then you have to sit into the boring part and you uh, get three or four rigs uh, drilling constantly for maybe six months, a year or so to prove up a mineable reserve. In the case of uh, Santa Maria, it's a little bit more complicated because the grades are low, uh, but the tonnage is huge. And so what we'll be doing here is bringing in large diameter drills, probably things with 0.3, 0.4 meters, that's about one foot to 15 inches diameter holes, uh, to drill down, we think, not to depths of not more than 300 meters. And we have to get representative samples of the material up to surface. And if you're drilling a hole which is um, a one-foot diameter, I forget the exact number, but I think it's roughly about 300 kilos of rock or material per meter. So we have sampling issues as well. All these are totally uh, things which we can handle, but it's uh, a little bit complicated and it's a little bit expensive. Once again, we have to prove the theory first, and then we get into what is potentially the slightly boring bit when you actually prove up the reserve. So the first step is to prove the theories. Um, for that, we, read, we estimate we need about two and a half, maybe three million dollars. And we shall be going out to the public markets to raise those funds uh, during February. If you do prove up what you want, then you'll, you'll go back to the market to raise larger sums to, to prove up the reserves. Well, proving up the reserves, as you know, drilling is quite expensive, Absolutely. particularly in Spain. Spain is probably double the price of what you'd have to pay in North America. 
Uh, I would think that, assuming the theories are correct, I have no reason to believe they won't be. Uh, we'd be looking for seven to ten million dollars sometime in the third or fourth quarter of this year. If I wanted to go and buy your stock in the public market, is it possible to do that at the moment? Not right now, because Euroton, the vehicle which we, the listed vehicle we will be using in Canada, is uh, halted. Um, we have decided to relist it, uh, and it should be up and up and going again sometime in the next three or four weeks, and that'll be before. Uh, what we call the QT or the Qualified Transaction Closing, whereby Euratin acquires total control of the Spanish assets. I see. Uh, so $2.5 million, $3 million, then 7 or $8 million. How are you going to raise that? Well, first of all, I would like to explain that I have raised personally several hundred million dollars in uh, public markets. I've always done it in Canada. I've never done it in Europe or, or the United Kingdom. And one... I think I have a project which is going to attract a lot of interest. Um, certainly, we seem to have a great deal of interest being currently generated. This is the first TIN project that people, most people have ever seen. Uh, secondly, the, uh, the potential margins which we are likely to see on our uh, TIN operations look like they could be uh, pretty special. It looks like we have world-class um, Projects, although we obviously we have to prove that yet. Uh, we have one of Canada's leading, if not the leading, mining brokerage house uh, behind us, and my intention is to go out in the market and try and get as many people involved in this company as possible, so that we can get this company trading easily, so that people want to get in easily, they can do so, and if they want to sell, they can get out easily. Well, uh, so we we look out for Eurotin, we watch this space, and um, it's a very exciting story. Can I just uh, lastly quickly ask you, just tell us quickly about what your team and what you, who they are and what you've done. Okay, this is in Spain. I've been, I was CEO of Iberia Minerals all the way through until early 2008 and was responsible for raising all the funding, both bank and otherwise, and uh, equity for um, Iberian Minerals, uh, Aguasinidas Mine. Uh, in the process, I learned exactly what you have to do in Spain, and I'm very proud of the fact that our project was possibly the only one I've ever seen in the mining market where nobody but nobody anywhere came up and, and tried to stop us. No NGOs, no government, no nothing. We had everyone on side, and uh, I think we followed the textbook of exactly how you should develop projects. In the process, uh, I, had, um, I met and employed some very, very good people, and certainly one of the big points in our operation will be the metallurgy. And the uh, metallurgist who was with me all the way through the construction of the um, Agrocedas project is joining us on the board of directors. I myself am a geologist, and I personally made three uh, commercial discoveries. Uh, I have our legal side is uh, in Canada, and our accounting side are people who are totally familiar with how junior exploration and mining companies operate in Canada. And finally, I have um, an individual, uh, John Chapman, from Europe, who has raised huge amounts of money for various projects uh, in the European markets. So I've got a pretty well-rounded team. I'm obviously going to add to my board as uh, time goes forward, but I want people who can perform and have got something to offer. 
if we want to watch this space, if we want to follow what you're doing, do you have a website or is there a, if you don't have one up yet, is there an email address perhaps people can email for your presentation or they just want to find out more about the company? Is there a way they can contact you? Uh, At this moment in time, we're about four or five weeks away. You have to understand we've got to do a qualified transaction first. And so I can't really go out and make uh, public documents on a website when we haven't completed that uh, transaction. But in the meantime, uh, the proactive investor group, you can find information about our company uh, through them. And alternatively, uh, maybe through yourself, Dominic Frisbee. Well, I was going to say, if you uh, have a question you'd like to ask or you want more information, why don't you um, contact me or post a message on the Frisbees, Bulls and Bears website and uh, I'll forward it on to Peter. That would be great. Thank you very much. Good stuff. Well, uh, Peter, it's been a very interesting interview for, uh, you know, not only the insight into tin, but also the insight into the thinkings of a geologist and, and, uh, and, and what, you know, what goes on with a, with a proper grassroots project like this. It's uh, very interesting stuff, and I wish you all the best with it. Peter Miller, thank you very much. Thank you, Dominic. You're listening to Frisbee's Bulls and Bears with Dominic Frisbee at frisbeesbullsandbears.com. And we have another company interview today. I'm talking to Norman Brewster, who's president and CEO of Cadillac Ventures. Um, Cadillac Ventures is an interesting company. They're, they are a, uh, an explorer and also a developer. They have assets in Spain um, and also in Canada, uh, in uh, Quebec and in New Brunswick. Um, I don't know where the best place to start is, Norman, except firstly to, to welcome, welcome you to the show. I, I suppose let's start, give us a quick overview of the company and then let's zoom in and focus on, on each of your uh, properties. Okay, Dominic. Dominic. Well, as you have said, we have projects uh, both in North America and in Europe. Uh, fundamentally, the European projects are in Spain and consist of uh, base metal exploration. That's uh, a joint venture with a company called uh, Matza, and uh, which is an operating subsidiary of Iberian Minerals Corporation. In Canada, we have actually three projects. Uh, at Tungsten uh, tin molybdenum project in New Brunswick, which we have a 51% interest in. A uh, gold project in Quebec called New Alger. That's joint ventured to a third party who will be uh, spending approximately $2.5 million in the next two years uh, exploring that property. And we've just acquired through an amalgamation with another company called Richview Resources a project in Ontario called the Thierry Project, which is a copper-nickel project. Okay, and which of these has, has got you the most excited? Which, which, which should we start with? Well, um, I'm quite excited about the two projects, one of which is in Spain and the other in Ontario. But I think from an immediate uh, cash flow sort of potential, the Spanish properties are more exciting to me. Okay, and so tell us about those in a bit more detail. What we have done is, uh, in in my past, I was partner in founding a company called Iberian Minerals. We acquired in that company and put into production a 
project called uh, Agostinidis, located on the Iberian pyrite belt. In the process, uh, we built a substantial mill which has overcapacity in it uh, for the ore body being mined. Uh, during the build of uh, Iberian minerals, we acquired a number of exploration projects in Spain which uh, could not be utilized by the company. We thus uh, went deliberately to create an exploration company to joint venture these projects. That company in part is Cadillac. The projects consist of approximately 14 uh, occurrences uh, located on approximately 232 square miles of territory, and we fundamentally control the northern Iberian pyrite belt. On these uh, 14 projects, there are a number of uh, uh, partially delineated uh, deposits having two to three million tons of either copper or a combination of copper and lead and zinc. The unique thing about it is, with Cadillac uh, in this joint venture, should uh, a project at two million tons looks like it can be economic, it, in the circumstance of having the joint venture with Matza, it then becomes a viable situation, because Matza has a brand new mill which is bought and paid for and existent. Whereas uh, against a 2 million ton deposit of, say, 2.5% copper, it would not be economically viable to put that into production as a standalone property. That's the exciting bit. So merely by completing a drilling program, uh, we could be into a production decision mode on any of these projects in Spain. Excellent stuff. And, and uh, why don't we move now across the pond to Canada and tell us about uh, the Molly Tungsten project there. Well, the Burnt Hill project is one that I've had an association with since uh, the late 1970s when I was a consultant to uh, International Paper. We took it to a point of uh, feasibility study when uh, the market for tungsten collapsed. I acquired the project uh, personally in uh, 2000, and we've spent some money on it. I've earned a 51% interest in Cadillac in the project. It's a joint venture with another company. I can go to a larger interest by further expenditures, which I fully intend to do. In the next year, I'll spend approximately a million and a half uh, further grooming the property, and uh, my ultimate ambition is to joint venture that property. And uh, do you want to quickly tell us about your, your, the Thierry project? The Thierry project is uh, located in uh, Ontario near a town called Pickle Lake. Um, the Thierry had seen uh, production in the late 70s through a company called Umex Corporation. When the metal prices declined, uh, they put the mine onto care and maintenance and ultimately sold it to a third party. And we've come along and... and purchased it from a third party. Through doing an amalgamation, we now control 100% of the project. There is approximately 9 million tons of 2% copper equivalent uh, defined on the, on the property uh, as the main deposit, and um, there is expiration potential existent on that deposit. We think there's a minimum of another 6 million tons. The prop the main Thierry property has a strike length of approximately uh, 3,000 meters and a 
depth continuity of approximately 3,200 meters. So, you know, that and the average width of the deposit is somewhere in the range of 16 to 19 meters. So it's a sizable, sizable occurrence, and uh, we think it ultimately will be a producer. Are you going to progress all three of these projects simultaneously, or are you going to focus on on one or two of them? Well, the Spanish uh, joint venture, we call it the Matza joint venture, is ongoing right now. We're drilling on that property as we speak, so that's underway. And we have a professional staff in Spain that are undertaking that uh, those programs for us. They're employees of the company. Um, within uh, Canada, uh, I would operate uh, through consulting contracting companies, and the intention is to... Uh, get the uh, Thierry project in the next six months to a point where we can actually start a dewatering program. This on on the uh, body. This would uh, entail uh, refreshing permitting, uh, doing some uh, costing studies, doing some um, reserve uh, quality studies. That's desk desk work, not uh, field work. Um, but we do have the people availability to do that, um, and we will start that immediately. The Burnt Hill project is more of a uh, less time-consuming. We know what to do there. I personally spent about $12 million as a consultant on this project in the late 1970s, drilled it off. So I know what to do and where to go to bring it up to in current uh, terminology, 43101 standard, and I would use a contracting company to do that. I mean, did you want to mention anything on the gold project very quickly? The gold project is uh, totally going to be uh, worked by third parties. I've joint ventured it. They have to spend money to earn a 51% interest. They will. They may come to me for advice. They may not, but uh, it's totally in their hands. Okay. Now, let's talk funding. I mean, exploration is an expensive business. How much money have you got? How much do you need to raise? How are you going to go about raising it? We have two components here. Um, let me tell you the current money situation. We have approximately three, three and a half million dollars in the Treasury. What's your market cap? Um, market cap, uh, let's see, is $15 million. Um, as a result of the amalgamation we did with uh, Richview, it will will see us issuing approximately uh, 15 million more shares. Our major shareholder is a company called Trafigura. Trafigura has a technical services agreement with us and shareholder support agreement. Uh, they wish to maintain their uh, equity position, which is 25.5%. So my feeling is that uh, they will put money into the company to not be diluted as a result of this amalgamation I've done. I see. So that will add uh, near-term funding. Okay. How much? So, somewhere in the range of 2 to $2.5 million. Okay. Well, I mean, what's your burn rate? Uh, the burn rate uh, is approximately uh, 100000 a month. And will that increase as you move forward? Uh, yes, it will increase uh, mm. marginally, but... You know, we, we're trying to keep the uh, employee and office and all those kind of uh, costs, administrative costs, to a minimum. Yeah. So they'd be 
the costs that will be there will be directly applied to the projects. But let me mention one other thing. Yeah. In, in Canada, we have something called uh, tax-driven uh, investment uh, yeah. vehicles called flow-through shares. Yeah. And I have been, and that would apply for both Burnt Hill and the Terry Project to, re, uh, to utilize flow-through monies. So these are, if you will, hard dollar or non-hard dollar monies, such as the existing money in the Treasury and whatever trafficker might put in. If we classify that as hard dollar, then the flow-through money is sort of soft dollar. Mm-hmm. And I have no trouble uh, visualizing raising uh, adequate funds in, in Canada in a flow-through mechanism to uh, pursue both Thierry and uh, Hill. In fact, I've already been offered substantial funds. And um, let's talk about the news flow. I mean, because with a lot of these exploration companies, investors, what, what kind of news flow can investors look forward to this year? What's the timing and the targets? Well, uh, we're hampered by uh, assay houses getting getting assay numbers from drill cores and sampling and that sort of thing. But that having been said, I anticipate uh, somewhere in the range of uh, two news releases per month uh, at, at a minimum for the for the next while. There's a sufficient uh, spread of projects that uh, there can always be something to be said. Okay. And uh, give me some blue sky. I mean, you know, I'm just an uh, ordinary Joe investor. Why, why should I buy Cadillac Ventures ahead of anyone else? What, what, what is it that, that uh, is the key selling point for Cadillac Ventures? Or give me a couple of, you know, unique selling points. Well, we have a more of a, a global look than a parochial look. Uh, in, like, say, just Ontario, for instance, where... We have the ability to look worldwide through our association with Trafigura. They are a number two commodity broker in the world, so they have a stream of uh, projects that come to them from various places, and we get to look at those, and those that are interesting, we can participate. So that is one, one uh, sort of strength we have. Also, uh, when it comes to... Uh, a valid and viable project which is deserving of um, further additional investment, I already have uh, access to 25% of, of whatever money is needed through this agreement, again, with Trafigura, and uh, their pockets are fairly deep. Um, so those would be two of the main S, two of the main features of the company. And I think the aspect of the global uh, kind of exposure to new projects is probably more important than the financial side of it. Excellent stuff, Norman. Thank you very much. Thanks very much for coming on the show. If uh, somebody wants to find out more about your company, uh, where, do you have a website they should visit? Yes, it's uh, Cadillac, well, www.cadillacventures.com. Excellent stuff. Well, uh, all the best with your various projects and uh, come and talk to us in a year or so and and keep us updated on on how they're going. Okay, Dominic, will do. Thank you for the uh, uh, chance to appear on your program. Frisbee's Bulls and Bears is presented and produced by Dominic Frisbee. 
To discuss the markets and have your say, why not visit our forum at globaledgeinvestors.com. That's globaledgeinvestors.com. To join our mailing list so you can be updated as soon as a new show is posted, please email info at dominicfrisbee.net or simply subscribe through iTunes. 